we are seeing an epidemic now of of women who are having trouble conceiving no matter what age that they are and also then children having reproductive disorders and these are because of hormone disrupting chemicals that we're putting on our skin um, in our hair in uh, cleaning products what we're exposing ourselves to so there's a huge influence that we uh, that we have that we don't actually pay any attention to or a lot of us don't. Hi and welcome to the Vegan Women Collective podcast. I'm your host Rachel Marsh, and I'm a co-founder of the Vegan Women Collective, an organization that highlights and supports the activism and entrepreneurship of vegan women through panels, workshops and is hopefully interesting, inspiring and informative podcast. For this episode, I met with the naturopath and business owner, Candice Borg. Candice has degrees in both biomedical science and health science naturopathy, and she also happens to be a qualified natural fertility educator and a hypnobirthing practitioner. She is also a registered member of the National Herbalist Association of Australia and the Mental Health Professionals Network. In addition to running her own practice, Candice also owns the retail and studio space Northgate Natural Therapies. In the store, she stocks and sells natural and earth-friendly products, as well as her own brand of loose-leaf tea blends called One Leaf at a Time, and her own natural, vegan, and pommel-free range of skincare products called Purely Vegan. I don't know how this is going to land, but I approached this interview with some skepticism at first because I didn't really understand what naturopathy was all about. And I was told that that's not really that uncommon. So we really did try to kind of unpack this. And another reason why I say this is because some of my questions were a bit naive, but I was really blown away by how much scientific knowledge Candice was able to pass on to me during our short conversation. And so much so that I'm splitting this interview in two parts because there was just too much to cover. And this means I'm releasing a special bonus episode next Thursday. Now, we have some events in the pipeline, including one with Candice that are soon to be released on our social media pages. So please do follow us on Instagram at Vegan Women Collective or join our Facebook group um, or like our Facebook page, which is also under Vegan Women Collective to keep up to date. Also, uh, last but not least, if you find the podcast valuable, that you enjoy our content and that you would like to support what we do, we have launched a Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash collective, where you can support us for as little as $5 a month. I hope that you enjoy Candice and I's conversation. Let's start the show. Welcome, Candice, to Thank the podcast. You. If you could just to start off with, tell me a little bit about your journey into veganism. Of course. Um, so I've been vegan for eight years, I think, coming up to eight years, something like that. And um, I went through the whole transition. So meat eater, then pescatarian, then vegetarian, then vegan at home. But every now and again, I'd forget to ask if something had dairy or cheese in it. So I didn't call myself vegan at that point. Um, and then officially vegan because I would remember to ask whenever I went anywhere. Um, But it started actually from when I was a kid. I never liked eating meat and I would just try to not think about what I was eating when I was eating meat. And then when I was old enough to make my own decisions, decided to go vegetarian or pescatarian first. But it was until I watched Earthlings that made me vegan. 
So my partner who was vegan at the time and still is vegan, uh, he uh, suggested that I watched Earthlings and I did and we now are partners. (laughs) So that was love blossomed from that. But that's what led me onto the path of veganism really. I just didn't understand why we would eat meat and I didn't like it. I did think that we had to eat fish. I did think from essential fatty acids that that was required until I did more research, hence why I kind of went the step-by-step process. But that was my journey to veganism. That's great. Can you walk me through, because you also have studied nutrition and biomedical science. Yes. So at what point of the journey that you were, you were doing your studies, were you also doing the transition? Yeah. So through my biomedical degree, I was complete meat eater and dabbling. I mean, I was more pescatarian than anything else, but I would on occasion have meat. And then through naturopathy, I was, again, the same kind of dabbling. Then I went pescatarian because I, I actually a lecturer of mine who was, I just thought she was amazing and she had so much knowledge and she was pescatarian and I just thought, well, then why wouldn't you? Like, it just makes perfect sense to be that. Interestingly, with my biomedical degree, I studied nutrition and, you know, I'm, I don't like to think that I'm a conspiracy theorist or anything like that, but I would say that I would be surprised if, if Deacon wasn't supported by the meat and dairy industry because the nutrition that we got taught through that was very meat and dairy focused yeah so I am I thought that that's what you had to eat like it just was almost like a must but then when I was studying naturopathy and and that lecturer that was pescatarian I thought oh well there's that makes sense that you don't have to actually consume these products and then did more research so I was still pescatarian when I finished naturopathy and then became vegan after that that's really interesting because what made you decide to go from biomedical science to naturopathy? How did that kind of come about for you? Uh, so I was studying biomedical science and really knowing that I actually wanted to be a doctor and thought for whatever reason doubted myself from high school that I wouldn't get into medicine just so just didn't try really. So then got into biomedical science and realized I was acing it and it was the same subjects as medicine so I thought well I'll finish that degree because it's always good to have something behind you and then I'll get into medicine and it takes a year to get into medicine so I um, was I sat the exam and when I was waiting for interviews in that time I was actually working at Royal Melbourne Hospital and decided that after working at Royal Melbourne Hospital that it just wasn't the field for me that it was I felt that it was too reactive and not preventative enough. I felt I worked a lot in the cardiology department and in theatre and I would see people that had high cholesterol for decades but not no one did anything about it until they were getting a triple bypass or you know that it was it was really severe surgery that was required. So I then just decided that I didn't want to do medicine anymore but didn't really know what to do and my sister said to become a naturopath and I didn't know what that was I didn't know what chamomile tea was I had no idea about any herbs or anything like that and um, so I looked into it and realized that it was exactly who I am it was very environmental that I am and it was all about nutrition which I loved with the medicine the biomedical degree so it fit and I remember just sitting in my very first lecture going I'm, I'm finally home like this is these are my people I've found my place 
That's fantastic. That's really great. Were you always interested in nutrition? I was always interested in science and biology. Um, my, My high school crush was on my biology teacher. Like I just loved biology and I loved the way that the body worked. And when, when doing biomedical science, you learn about the biochemistry of the body and how nutrition is all that we have. That's all that we're made up of. We're just vitamins and minerals roaming around in cells and that affects us. So that that's how I naturally went into nutrition. I didn't go out seeking nutrition, although now it's all that I talk about. So it was interesting that it wasn't really what I was first initially thinking. So how does naturopathy and nutrition kind of come together? Well, when you're you're studying naturopathy, you study everything about nutrition. So again, because you study about the biomedical process of the body and the biochemistry of the body. So we do do four years worth of nutrition because diet often influences every medical condition. So um, that's always a part of that degree. And I guess I loved studying herbal medicine. I loved studying it more so because I had done my biomedical degree and I understood it from a almost a, a cellular level. With my biomedicine, I did genetics and cellular biology as well as everything up, you know, to a full human rather than just cells. So I just found it really fascinating how different components of herbs worked in different ways and how then nutrition influenced the either the absorption of that or just the way that the body worked in itself. So they do really go hand in hand. It would be very difficult for me to be seeing someone and not thinking about what they were eating or what their nutritional status was because that would influence every kind of a medical indication that they might have. Interesting. What kind of illnesses does a naturopath, for people that have no idea around naturopathy, can you actually give a definition of naturopathy and then the kind of things that you can help with? I kind of think of naturopathy as like being like being a GP, but instead of sending someone to a pharmacy, we give them herbs or nutritional medicine. And that's not to say that we would diagnose any medical conditions, although we are trained to. We, I still wouldn't. I would still send you off to a GP for a diagnosis. But that's how I kind of describe natural medicine. So it's a lot of pharmaceuticals are derived from herbs. They're just the synthetic version of them. So instead of getting the synthetic version, we're just giving you where it came from, you know, the plant version of where it came from. So that's really where naturopathy kind of lies. And in terms of what people come in for, everything everything and anything. It can be just diet advice. um, It can be people converting to veganism and just making sure that they're doing the right things nutritionally. It can be as serious as cancer that people want either additional medicine to what they're currently being treated with, or they actually have stopped pharmaceutical medication for various side effects or things like that, or beliefs, whatever it may be. Um, So it can be anything the the what i see the most in clinic would be fertility or hormonal irregularities which then kind of couples with a little bit of skin stuff and mental health i see a whole heap of anxiety and depression interestingly on my very first business card i put down mental health and fertility 
And that's what I see a lot of. So I don't know if I just put it out there into the universe, but it's what I really love. I did my thesis on depression and natural therapies when I was studying. So I have a real interest for those two areas, but I can see anything. I can see eczema, I can see digestive issues, skin stuff, anything can come through. Because we are going towards the colder months now here in Melbourne and in Australia. Mm -hmm. Uh, What would you suggest for people to potentially strengthen their immune system? So firstly, you'd look at nutrients that are involved in the immune system. So particularly vitamin C and zinc, which everyone knows that vitamin C is good for the immune system. But in in these months, you know, your kiwi fruits, your cranberries, your um, oranges, um, things like that to help boost your vitamin C levels. If you do have some great organic frozen berries, they've got great vitamin c in them too um and then zinc rich foods like your nuts and seeds that will help to boost your immune system drinking lots of water i find that as the cooler months happen we we find it a little bit more difficult to drink water but water is so important for strengthening our immune system so great herbal teas can be considered water there's herbal teas that are immune boosting that have herbs like elderberry or echinacea or calendula that you can have just to so you're still getting your water intake but help to helping to boost that immune system and of course if you're feeling unwell resting I don't think we um, give enough time to rest if we feel like we just have to keep pushing through keeping yourself really nice and warm um, it's also a great great way just to help just boost your immune system and fight off any infections that might be present that's great thank you for for that that's fantastic and so I know for a fact that in addition to having your own consult here in Northgate, mm-hmm. so Northgate Natural Therapies, mm-hmm. you also have your own brand of skincare yeah. and your own brand of loose leaf teas. Yes. So can you tell me a little bit about the journey into deciding to launch those two additional brands? So with the the skincare, well, actually with both brands, when I started at Northcote Natural Therapies, I actually bought the business. The business was a very, very new business and it was run by a naturopath. It had a range of teas and it had a range of skincare that she made. Anyway, I wasn't actually uh, looking to buy a business. I was just looking to see what other naturopaths do to give me ideas for my business and walked into the business and fell in love with the space and bought the business. So I kind of inherited these brands. Then fast forward a few years after that and I just decided that some of the tea blends I didn't agree with or I just thought that they could be tweaked a little bit and I also didn't really like the packaging or the branding. I loved it at the time but it had aged after a few years. So I just rebranded and then took that opportunity to reformulate and add in new blends and change blends and do all sorts of things so then that's what sprung one leaf at a time and one leaf at a time the name came from you know like just taking it a day at a time or like once upon a time like a fairy tale that you just sit down and you have a a cup of tea and so that's what started that brand so now there's 46 blends it's just it's a 
little bit crazy. <laughs> I hadn't realized that it was yeah. so much. I thought that it was like maybe 10. Wow, no, that's no, a lot. There's a lot of blends. That's um, cool. So there's something for everything, basically. There's lots of digestive ones and immune ones and um, pregnancy ones and all sorts of different things. That's fantastic. And they're all blended with something in mind. So it's, okay, do you have digestive pain? Well, then there's a there's a blend for that. Do you have like first trimester of pregnancy? There's a blend for that. Skin, there's a blend. Rather than it being just to taste nice, it's, it's the teas are actually designed to be therapeutic to help with something. And then with the skincare, the skincare I decided again to rebrand and and really actually reformulate because I really wanted to have a skincare brand that was already vegan, but to be as natural as it possibly could be and also to be 100% palm oil free. And the more I did research, the more I realized that palm oil free is not all that common and you can actually have a percentage of palm oil derivatives in a product and still label it palm oil free um so that just wasn't good enough for me i'm like we can't have even if it's less than five percent palm oil derivatives we can't do that and call ourselves a cruelty free brand in my opinion so we did a lot of research there was a lot of days in my kitchen formulating products and some were great and some were really terrible um it's amazing how you think that you can do something and then you're like well how did that happen that was really awful but there was lots and lots and lots of formulation and then a lot of research led me to a chemist in Sydney and after speaking with him he had been formulating this palm oil free base for over five years and hadn't perfected it yet either um so I was you know a couple of months in and he was five years in and he's a a cosmetic chemist so I figured that it's probably going to take me a while to get there too but anyway we had lots of discussions and the more I spoke to him the more I really liked his ethics because he doesn't sell or doesn't manufacture any products that will go into China he refuses to to manufacture them yeah that's great yeah so I really felt like that we could work together so the the I then formulated all the products with um, and again they're therapeutic so in the day cream there's essential oils that give you energy and and make you be able to concentrate and all of that kind of stuff whereas in the night cream there's essential oils that help you to go to sleep as well as obviously all the repairing that your skin wants in nighttime and during the day. Um, but they're really they're formulated to have that specific purpose of being very nurturing to your skin, being obviously 100% palm oil free and palm oil derivative free and vegan. So we decided to call that brand purely vegan, which at the time of development, we you know we were even asking people you know do we say the V word in the title? Like veganism was not really all that popular back then that was this is about five years ago okay so it was just really um at a time that it's just five years ago it's kind of like at the cusp of when the movement became even more strong like the way that it is now yeah Yeah. exactly but we decided that yes we would be loud and proud and and call ourselves purely vegan and and um, then we decided that we would create a logo that actually, when you looked closely enough, the lettering 
represented the animals that were involved in the cosmetic industry. So our P has a little whale's, whale's tail. Um, our R has bees um, for the obviously the beeswax and things like that that are put in. Um, so there's all these little different animals that you see. The, the G is an orangutan for the palm oil. The Y is um, a cow's tail because there's lots of um, uh, milk products in, in and also just um, lanolin and things like that, like vitamin D. To get a vegan vitamin D in a skincare is really difficult. You've really got to read the labels. So, um, yeah, we, ha- we spoke to a beautiful, like a most amazing illustrator and said, make this logo but make it look like wording so that if you're far away from it it just looks like a name and if you're closer to it you can actually go oh is that a, a is that an orangutan in there is, is that's that... really nice it's, really, it's such a nice lens to kind of look at our branding yeah yeah so that was um that was that journey so now we're we we officially launched officially launched last year okay um so that took a lot of time in development and testing and because we wanted to make sure that our products withstood temperatures and being natural products it's hard because they do change if it's cold in colder weather or in warmer weather and ours still do they'll be a slightly more um creamier in winter and slightly more more of a lotion type in summer very slight and to some people they might not even notice the difference but um, they do change but we are really happy with the result we only have a couple of synthetics so our synthetics are under I think one percent and that is just to make it shelf stable so that people can enjoy it and it doesn't separate but they're completely nature identical synthetics so it's they're edible so it's I wouldn't recommend anyone eats the skincare. Like by a, the way, a spoonful. Yeah, yeah. Do not eat this the skincare. But but is, if you were to, if you were to accidentally ingest do it, the skincare, it would be okay. But definitely don't try to. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, do you sell them here only in the store? Or do you also sell them online? Sell them online. We have a couple of stockers for our skincare. Um, and that will increase as we put more attention into that business. There's just a few businesses running at the one time. So putting attention into all of them is a little difficult. We do sell everything at Northcote Natural Therapies, online at Northcote Natural Therapies. And then the, the businesses have their own websites. So One Leaf Organic Teas and purelyvegan.com.au. I just find it really interesting to hear about the, the journey into... Um, a cosmetics brand or a skincare brand well and it's chemistry it's actually chemistry about learning knowing what the skin the the layers of the skin and what they respond to and then also picking oils and essential oils that can penetrate those skin layers and mimic those skin layers so that our whole point of our skincare that it doesn't matter if you're male or female it doesn't matter what religious um, background you have it doesn't matter we what allergies you have we even picked really low allergenic profile ingredients so that if you're gluten-free or nut-free or um, you can't have um, frankincense because that's 
sometimes people respond to that. So we looked at all of these things. The other thing that we looked at is pregnancy. So if you're pregnant, you also can use our skincare because we wanted to make sure that there was no discrimination, no matter what age, gender, skin type you are, oily skin, dry skin, these are actually balancing um, products that help to balance the skin regardless of um, what your skin might be like. We only have one product that isn't ideal in pregnancy, which is the face mist, um, because that's a rose hydrazole. And the jury's still a little bit out about rose and, and whether there's not enough research on it as to say it's validity or safety in pregnancy. So we say that it's not pregnancy safe because obviously we err on the side of caution. But everything else is completely pregnancy safe too. So it was really important to us just to have a skincare brand that anyone can just buy and feel comfortable buying knowing that it was regardless of whether you cared whether it was vegan or not, but knowing that it was good for your skin no matter what skin type you have or what kind of allergies you have. In saying that, obviously, everybody should always do a test patch if they've got sensitive skin and just make sure the product's right for them. But we did look at every ingredient and just say, how could we make this as 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 safe as possible, as as friendly as possible, no matter the age or, or person? That's really interesting. And I've never heard of such a thing as skincare that would be not pregnancy friendly. Mm. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? This is just completely new to me. Well, I think that this is a really interesting thing because a lot of people think that skincare is topical. So it's just on the outside and it doesn't really affect us internally or doesn't penetrate that deep. But it does. And particularly in the shower. In the shower, our pores are the most open. So we absorb the chemicals that are in our skincare, in our shampoos, conditioners, soaps, whatever it is. Same with when we're out of the shower, if we're putting on skincare, we still absorb that. So particularly from a chemical point of view, there are lots of hormone disrupting chemicals like parabens that are in skincares that tend to not be natural. Um, so that's the first thing. But then we also, I, I mean, I when I was on my rampage of what products are we going to make, I looked at the number one selling stretch mark oil, and I won't say the name of it, but, but it had rosemary essential oil, and rosemary is contraindicated in pregnancy. Rosemary essential oil can influence your liver detoxification process and if your liver starts detoxing then those toxins that are stored in your fat cells can go to your baby and potentially cause damage now there would have to be a lot of toxins for that to happen and there would have to be a decent amount of rosemary essential oil for that to happen too but it's possible we are seeing an epidemic now of of women who are having trouble conceiving no matter what age that they are and also then children having reproductive disorders and these are because of hormone disrupting chemicals that we're putting on our skin um, in our hair in uh, cleaning products what we're exposing ourselves to so there's a huge influence that we uh, that we have that we don't actually pay any attention to or a lot of us don't there's actually a really great documentary and it's called the disappearing male and it goes into how we are as a society using so many hormone disrupting chemicals that we're seeing lower sperm counts in men 
And that's why it's called the disappearing male, because if we keep going the way that we are, that humans will not be able to reproduce. It'll be very difficult for that to happen without intervention. But that's a really, really interesting documentary. And it's just about that, about chemicals we're exposed to that feels so handmaid's tale to me yeah (laughs) (laughs) for those of you that um if you want to check out the documentary also and you don't know about handmaid's tale check out both (laughs) um that's crazy this is going to go back to naturopathy and and biochemistry Mm -hmm. or biomedical science would you say that vegans tend to expose themselves less to chemicals already or not really, That's not. it doesn't really affect? I think we did by default five years ago and now not so much because now there is packaged things everywhere. We are exposed to so many processed foods. One big hormone disrupting chemical is plastic and any food that has been heated in plastic or has been exposed to heat. So a lot of products that would be manufactured would be put in plastic when it's hot or the plastic would be um, heat sealed. So that plastic could penetrate that product and then they're called xenoestrogens. Um, so they, those estrogens do affect our estrogen production. They're linked to uh, reproductive cancers and things like that too. So I think that, when, I mean, I remember when I first went vegan, it was really easy to be healthy because what choice did you have? You know, there was just no cakes and no ice creams and just wasn't, that didn't exist. So it was very easy to be healthier. I think generally vegans are more in tune with environmental aspects. So they would be more likely to use a natural skincare or natural cleaning products, but not always. I mean, I um, very much educated my partner on just what chemicals did and what they are and why we wouldn't use that down the toilet because that would absolutely affect the ecosystem just things that he hadn't thought of or paid any attention to generally I feel like the vegans that come to see me a lot of them a big percentage of them would be already using natural products in terms of skincare and cleaning products but a lot of them don't and it's just an another means of education of letting them know what that actually could be potentially doing to their system and why they might not want to use it and also not even their system um, but the ecosystem itself that everything runs into our oceans and affects our fish so but there's all sorts of things with that too like like the oral contraceptive pill and some women are absolutely in need of taking it and some women take it by choice as well for, for their reasons But this is giving our oceans lots of estrogen and progesterone. And in a lot of um, uh, pockets of the ocean, fish will develop uh, what gender they are dependent on what chemicals are in the water. So we're seeing a lot of female fish and not very many male fish, which obviously then um, can influence the reproduction of that species. So it's it's bigger than us, you know, it's everything that we enter into our body and put on our skin has an impact on this world. And I feel like I'm preaching to the choir now, but, you know, I just, I feel like that that's, uh, that's a big education point. And, uh, and like I said, a lot of vegans are on top of that, but some aren't. Yeah. So Even if like this, you just said, like, I'm preaching to the choir. I don't think that that's necessarily true as in like, 
I can be the choir in the sense that I'm quite aware of these things and but also always open to learning but mm. that's also the idea of of offering a platform for people to discuss these things because there's just so much information and there's just so much noise mm. always out mm. there. there you get bombarded with information you don't know what's true you don't know what you should listen to or or how you should take action towards mm. these things but i think that sometimes especially in our current society you get dissociated from how everything is interconnected so that even even if you are being vegan you're making those choices around the food that you eat it has to be part of your journey to also educate yourself on your skincare being like you have even if it is cruelty free like what does it the sulfates and so i think that it's interesting to kind of put those together and and our impact and how everything's interconnected absolutely and sometimes you're surprised too like i could have a client that comes in that is so completely health conscious and and just perfect you know just eating so perfectly and everything's really well balanced but then using Nivea on their skin or um, using Dettol or bleach in their toilets and, and it just surprises me you know it's just like oh okay but that's that's okay let's just talk about that and what what health impact that has and maybe this is what's contributing to your condition you know that it's not diet related because a lot of the times two people say I do everything perfectly why am I still feeling this or getting bloated or unable to sleep or whatever the case is and then it's okay well let's look at your environment what are you actually exposing yourself to so whether it be a conscious decision or not, you know. And I think that that can also become very overwhelming. I remember when I first went vegan and just reading things and um, even though I was already down the natural path in terms of skincare but didn't even realise how many times a natural skincare contained a, a lanolin or a um, or milk products or beeswax or just all the time. I mean, it was just all the time. Yeah, you know. So just it, that was really surprising too. That just so um, abundant. Yeah. So I think that we're always constantly learning, and I think also that we need to also give ourselves time to to learn, and that we when we first choose to go plant-based or um, adopt a vegan lifestyle that we will make mistakes and that's okay you know that we um, will have products in our house that aren't vegan and that's okay too you know but then as we're using things and getting through them we just make sure that we make very conscious choices with what we're replacing them with rather than feeling overwhelmed at the beginning that you're doing everything wrong or you keep making mistakes I don't think that that's a healthy way of approaching a lifestyle change. It's just giving yourself a pat on the back for every decision that you make right and moving forward, you know, learning, constantly yeah. learning. I'm going to ask you another question then that's about environment. So because you were saying and highlighting how most of the chemicals that we use in cleaning can have a negative effect on our health. Is there anything that you suggest for people to, what are the worst offenders and how could, can people, what <laughs> steps can people take to modify that? Or like wh what would be the, the things that are the easiest to kind of change around quickly and effectively? So I think the first thing is 
I really love old old school kind of cleaning, like vinegar and lemon juice and essential oils. Love it. Bicarb soda. I love the chemical reaction between bicarb soda and vinegar. My fave. My favorite. <laughs> my ultimate favorite, really. And as a scourer, you know, like cutting a lemon in half and using that on, on grouting and stuff like that. So I really love that kind of cleaning. But that can be a little bit, um, as my sister would say, too hippie. <laughs> as, as you can imagine, I get called that a lot in my household. But uh, what you can do is for, uh, an easy way of transitioning, and this is not the perfect way, but it just makes it a little bit easier, is picking products that are garden-friendly. If they're garden-friendly, at least they're going to biodegrade. Um, so if they're grey water-friendly... That's a really great way of just making the initial change and seeing what you go for. Do you go for a toilet cleaner? Like, is it, is that what you generally buy? You know, and then what? How could you make your own? Could you keep the bottle that you have and then fill it with vinegar and and essential oils in it? We've got spray bottles in each of the rooms here where there's massage beds or the yoga mats and things. And it's just a homemade little mixture that I've come up with, which um, it's just vinegar and essential oils. It's nothing fancy, but it works. So um, that's an easy way of just making that initial transition. The If a product isn't safe for you to put it on your skin, don't use it for cleaning. So if you have to wear gloves or it's recommended that you wear gloves or a mask, don't use it. There is a great website and it's actually called the Material Safety Data Sheets. So MSDS, <laughs> Material Safety Data Sheets, yep. Um, but the Material Safety Data Sheets, what they actually are, which is super sad, but it gives you an idea about what's in your products, is it is called what the lethal dose 50 is of an ingredient. So the lethal dose 50 is at what concentration would an ingredient kill 50% of the mice tested, which is awful. But what it tells you is the what that ingredient does. Now, I can promise you if an ingredient kills off 50% of mice or 30% or 20% or 10% of mice, it's not good for you. If it's killing life, Fuck. it's not good for you. So um, I remember doing... Back in uni, we had to do it. We had to pick products and do research what they actually were. So I actually picked the products that were used at my mum's childcare centre. So my mum was a cook at a childcare centre and um, just the products that she used. And every single ingredient was actually listed on the material safety data sheet as being um, a potential carcinogen, so cancer-causing. But then what they don't do when they test ingredients is they don't test them as a full product. So you actually know each individual ingredient, how unsafe it is, but not the combination of that, which generally a combination is worse than the individual ingredients. So it's really eye-opening. Um, one of my colleagues at the time, one of my, the students in my uni, did it on a very earth-friendly cleaning brand which wasn't so earth-friendly. So when you actually looked at the in each individual ingredients, that it wasn't so friendly. So this is kind of the time where you look at what health food shops stock because they generally are 
more natural cleaning products. So there's a couple of brands that, well, there's one brand that we stock at Northcote Natural Therapies, but, and we stock it because people want it. Otherwise, I would say just make it yourself, you know, just use the bottle, keep the bottle from the last whatever one that you have, but then just use it. I also use um, a really beautiful, like just very natural dishwashing liquid. Dishwashing liquid gets, you know, cleans everything put that in a bottle and put some vinegar in it and use it as a spray yeah exactly like you don't have you don't have to spend that much money and you don't have to get that fancy with your cleaning products and so is it because it's airborne that it it has the potential to affect people and even topically so if it goes on their skin so if you're breathing it in which is why they would say to wear a mask because it actually can enter in your airways and enter your cells that way or just even through your skin. But we're just magnets of absorption. We'll, we will absorb what's around us. There are lots of medications that are um, dermal medications that you rub them on your skin to absorb them. There's progesterone creams, there's magnesiums, there's all sorts Steroids. of things. Yeah, exactly. So if that can be absorbed, anything can be absorbed. If a medication can be, then anything can be. So just be careful with what you're using and what you're breathing in. Particularly the thing that I find um, the most offensive, but if that's a good way of describing it, is those um, room sprays that make the room smell really gorgeous. Let's not use brands, but I don't like them. I just think from an environmental point of view, they're not great. Um, from a health point of view, they're absolutely disgusting. And I, it's there's certain products on the market that I think, why is that legal? Like how are we allowing our children and, and adults and elderly and dogs and cats to, to be inhaling these things that could potentially cause Ill, Ill health? Just on a quick note about pets too, there's some essential oils that aren't pet friendly, particularly for cats. Um, so do look that up if you're getting some essential oils to diffuse or to put in cleaning um, products. Just there are a few. And there's a, I think we have a list on our website. If not, we've got a list so we can email it to you. Um, but uh, yeah, there are some oils that aren't ideal for cats. So just any, be mindful. Any at the top of your head? or a Lemongrass isn't great. Um, there's nothing else that's jumping to my okay. mind. You were telling me offline about how there's some misinformation potentially around naturopathy or mm-hmm. um, people calling it pseudoscience. Mm-hmm. And I'd just be really interested in getting your take on that as to a why do people call it pseudoscience and then b what would be your answer to it's almost like allegations really well yeah to those allegations or or yeah or there's there's comments or that perspective on Mm -hmm. on naturopathy Mm -hmm. so in, in terms of um the pseudoscience Claims. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Claims that naturopathy sometimes falls under. I actually think it's really unfortunate. It's just really sad that people do think of naturopathy as a pseudoscience. Naturopathy is a health science. It is a Bachelor of Health Science. And um, what is unfortunate about naturopathy is because we are not 
covered by the government. So when we don't have a registering body that the government controls, if you like, that anyone can call themselves a naturopath. So you do unfortunately get those people that have done an online course or read a couple of things and call themselves a naturopath. You also, like in every profession, will get a couple of cowboys that think that all natural therapies are safe and then give them to people on certain medications and not look at contraindications and things like that. So, But that's in every profession. You'll find some people that just don't follow rules. But unfortunately, with naturopathy, we all get pulled into that same category. Now, what's really interesting about it is that the government recognises us in the sense that we can read blood tests, we can refer people for blood tests. So they understand that we know um, all that information of what a blood test means just like a GP would, um, but then don't give us that accreditation that protects us, if you like. So what's really important if anyone is choosing to see, and I think a healthcare professional, no matter what the profession is, but that you look at who they're registered with, make sure that they're a part of an association and then look at that association and see what kind of um, rules or legalities that registration has, you know, what what level of education needs to be um, that pr- practitioner needs to have in order for that association to approve them as a member. So, for example, my association is the NHAA, and I'm happy to say that association. They, uh, I mean, they're very strict with what we, what level of education we must have. We also have to keep up our professional points per year. So we have to have at least 50 hours of education per year to maintain our registration. And that has to be across herbal medicine, nutritional medicine, and medical science. So that has to be basically an equal number of each points. And the points are divided through those three categories. So I have never learnt more science than what I did in naturopathy. There was far more in-depth knowledge that I had to learn. I found biomedical science a walk in the park, to be honest, and I don't mean to sound cocky in any way or anything like that, but I just really enjoyed learning about it and it was kind of easy to learn because I liked it. But naturopathy I found difficult just because of every bit of information we had to know. You know, we learnt 100 herbs each semester and each of those 100 herbs we had to know what medications they interfered with, what dosage to use, what plant part, what organs of the body they worked, what were the active constituents, so what parts of the plant made that plant do something and then in which chemical pathway did it do it. You know, like like a lot of information. Yeah, that sounds crazy. As well as learning everything else about nutrition and, you know, um, everything else that we learned about the body, the pathophysiology, everything, biochemistry, all of that. So we do study the... the, um, I was allowed to get so many um, credits, if you like, from biomedicine into naturopathy. I actually still decided to sit the subjects anyway, again, because I thought you can't not learn more. Yeah. And there's always more to learn. But it, so it was a, it is a full 
health science degree and full I mean every single assignment that we had to do if we didn't have pages of references of really great research then it wasn't marked you know so it's really unfortunate that people um, haven't taken the time to look at what's involved in a naturopathy degree and just think that it's I had one person once say oh you're just going to sprinkle fairy dust and say that I'm cured like, well, if I could, I would, but that won't work, you know. <laughs> um, if only I had so, such magical fairy dust. I just really find it sad that people don't have that understanding of how much science is actually involved in naturopathy. And that's the end of part one of my interview with Candace Borg, naturopath, business owner, and all-around knowledge powerhouse. I've been on a rampage trying to get rid of pretty much everything and anything that might be unsafe or just plain toxic, and I hope that you're going to do the same because knowledge is power, and there's always more ways to make our lives and general environments better and healthier. Part two of this interview is being released as a bonus episode next Thursday, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this format and also what you thought of the interview. So feel free to tag us uh, in your stories or in your photos. It just feels really good to, to know that the content that I produce has value. Using this also as a quick reminder that we have launched a Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash collective, and we'd absolutely love your support. As the podcast does have some costs and you can support us for the price of one coffee a month. If you like this episode, please make sure to subscribe to our show, rate us, leave us a comment if you're on iTunes, and as always, tell all of your vegan friends. For any comments or suggestions, including potential guests both in Australia and abroad, please feel free to email us at hello at veganwomencollective.com. The Vegan Women Collective podcast is recorded, mixed and produced by myself, Rachel LaMarche. I thank you again for listening and I'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Cheers.